song when you sing it out loud There ain't no stopping or slowing down yeah, Let's be wild and free We are the wild, we are the free And our fire burns eternally We'll travel far, far as the eyes can see We are the wild and free Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Travel Writers Radio, broadcast first on J-Air88FM in Melbourne. Thanks for being there. I'm your host, Graham Kemlow, and it's a great pleasure to welcome back as co-host, Melbourne-based travel writer and editor, Justine Costigan. Hi, Justine. Hi, Graham. It's lovely to be here again. Yeah, good to have you there. Thank you. Now, we're a team of professional journalists based here in Melbourne and around Australia, but also overseas. We bring you authentic, independent stories about the people behind the food, wine, lifestyle and travel experiences around the corner or around the world. And we aim to both inform and inspire every Wednesday drive time from 5 to 7pm, repeated Saturdays from 1 to 3pm. But tonight on the show, come along for the ride as we discover the experiences available up on the Atherton Tablelands in far north Queensland, where reporter Carolyn Jasinski also managed to catch a four kilo barramundi. Sydney travel writer Mike Smith takes us to an historic, some would say iconic coastal retreat on the New South Wales central coast, Kim's. And Graham Kemlow has been to Geelong recently and discovered the former Australian government clothing factory, where uniforms were made for our World War soldiers. But it has now been reimagined as a charming modern office campus and business events venue after it was purchased by Cam Hamilton's family. And you, Justine, loved your visit to Dimboola, which was a thing before Muriel got married, before the big fat Greeks got uh, hitched, and before Mamma Mia's nuptials. The local 1979 hit movie Dimboola was about a local country town, a wedding reception, but the town was well and truly moved on. Meanwhile, Helen Hayes, currently on a cruise around the Society Islands of Tahiti on board a Windstar ship, found herself being diverted to another set of French Polynesian islands, the Marquesas, due to an approaching cyclone. Helen uh, speaks with the captain of the ship and also the president of Windstar Cruises. That's all coming up on this episode of Travel Writers Radio, broadcast first on J-Air 88FM in Melbourne, and stories are also available as podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and your favourite platform. Graham Kemelow has heard about a popular getaway for Sydney ciders for decades, but knew little of Kim's beachside retreat. Travel writer Mike Smith explained the appeal of this coastal retreat at Tuong Bay on the New South Wales central coast. It was first established as a small campground 137 years ago. In the 1980s and 90s, it was popular as a celebrity hideaway, even hosting international guests, including the Rolling Stones. Mike Smith explains the appeal of Kim's today. I've often heard about this place, this magical place called Kim's. Everyone talked about it. I've never been there, but Mike knows all about it. And there's apparently quite a history. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Good morning, Graham. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. And you? Uh, not too bad, especially after a couple of nights at uh, Kim's Beachside Retreat, which is up in the central coast. And believe it or not, this retreat 
has been around for 137 years. That, that's amazing. You mean the building or the business or both? The, the business, as oh. it started. It started as a, a very basic campground back in uh, 1886. Wow. When, when a, a local seafaring merchant, Captain Franz Charlson, set up an initial camp on the beachfront after yeah. finding fresh water from a natural spring there, which is still there, the natural spring. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, he planted over 100 Norfolk pines as a, as a barrier. And, and uh, many of those pines are still there. So it's incredible how the history began. But it was a very basic um, campground. And it was at that time, it was called Chinaman's Bay. Yeah. And um, eventually, he started bringing professional people in, people in ferrying, uh, while ferrying cargo to Norfolk Island collected them on his voyage and eventually built a uh, slab timbered uh, kitchen there. Oh, uh, and he okay. used to ring the ship's bell to summon guests to the meals. Now, that ship bell is still used today yeah. in the very modern five-star retreat to summon everybody to say that breakfast is ready. <laughs> so it's, it's incredible right. how this tradition has remained after 137 years. Yeah, and where did the name Kim's come from? Well, eventually, an American um, two brothers, McKimmons, they, they actually opened up the first ice creamery in Sydney, um, decided to, uh, to call it Kim's Camp because um, it, it was just a, a campground and they thought they'd abbreviate their name from Kimmons to Kim's. And that's where it stuck. So it wasn't an actual person, uh, an actual uh, Christian name. Right. It was the abbreviation of their surname. Right, okay. And that, and, and that was back in the 1920s. So it was still very basic at that time, and it wasn't until about the 1980s under Andrew Strachan, who who actually was a sailor who won the Sydney to Hobart race back in 1993, decided to upgrade it to to what it is today. Right. um, It is a a sparkling five-star retreat right on the beachfront there at Twoomin Bay, uh, near the entrance on the central coast. Okay, and And so... And state of the How many... um how many rooms does it offer? It's got about 34 standalone bungalows and villas. Right. So it's quite a, it's quite a retreat. It's sprinkled in a sort of a subtropical rainforest. And at the forefront um, are, the, are many of the Norfolk pines that were planted over 100 years ago. That's the beach, though, there, yeah? On the, on the beach side. Okay. So it's, it's, it's in a little haven tucked away at, uh, right on Toowoomba Bay Beach. Uh, not far from the entrance, and um, it, it's very much hidden. And, and people always say it's a, the best kept secret. In many ways, it is the best kept secret, even though it's hosted many a notable guest, like the Rolling Stones have actually stayed there over the years. Oh, okay. Michael, Michael Jackson has stayed there. Sir Robert Heltman has stayed there. And there was a famous photographer, Australian photographer by the name of Max Dupain, yeah. Who um who stayed there as well. In fact he loved it so much he started taking photographs of the of the retreat and the and the area. And a lot of his black and white photos hang in the walls of the public areas of the of the retreat. Oh well that's a that's a good enough reason for some people. I'd go and just to see those. That'd be that'd be fascinating. Um, oh. so uh do a lot of sort of Sydney scientists get there or do people come from the coast, um, up and down the coast? They, they come from all over the place. In fact, we get a lot of international visitors um, to, the, to the retreat. Right. Uh, there's a, a, an old sailing mast out the front of the restaurant and they, they, they put up the flag, they raise the flag of what nationality the guest is and which country they're from, where they're from, 
Western Australians, so the Western Australian flag would go, go, would go up, the British flag would go up, the uh, the French flag would go up. So, whoever the wherever the guest hailed from, there'd be a flag out there, uh, in 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 full flight in front of them at the, the even at for the, the uh, breakfast table. Even for the so-called Mexicans like us from south of the oh, border. Oh yes. Yeah, the Victorian flag would be certainly raised. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Now, well, they, what I've heard might... about it, though, it, isn't it pretty good on the in the food department? Oh, absolutely. Um, they used to be famous for a, a giant seafood buffet, uh, and people would go there just for the buffet. Um, the guests would stay there, and they'd always talk about the food. But sadly, the pandemic hit, and, uh, of course, any food that is handled had to go behind closed doors. So the, the buffet disappeared. Right. But on the a la carte restaurant, you can still get um, the seafood buffet for two. Right. So basically, it, it's handed to you at the table rather than you going to the buffet to um, to pick up the seafood. Well, that, that sounds fantastic. So what would the scenario be? You, you're having leading a busy life in uh, Sydney. You want to get out. Um, yes. What's a what's a good amount of time to spend down there that where you'd still have find things interesting to do? Well, it takes about an hour or ninety minute drive north of Sydney to to reach it. Now, to, you, we chose to uh, on a couple of occasions we stay there. We chose to stay there, not even move from there, because it's one of those retreats where you, you don't really want to move away. You wake up in the morning, there's the sun rising in front of you at the beach. You go and have an early dip before the ship's bell rings to signal signal um, breakfast. Um, and But others, there's, there's plenty of things to do on the Central Coast. Um, you know, the Central Coast is 70 kilometres of, of beachfront. Right. And you, you could do all sorts of things. It's, it, it's the quintessential Australian holiday playground where you can swim, surf, fish, and even down a beer around the barbecue. It's, it's one of those destinations. And... It's no wonder the Central Coast used the slogan "Love the Central Coast" because it, it truly is a good place to go to, and most people stay two nights, and they noticed at Kim's that people are staying an extra night now. Um, maybe they think two nights is just quite not enough. Oh, right. And, and and as I said, a lot of people are international guests. You've got interstate guests, but the majority would be from Sydney, I'd say. So, uh, is it the sort of place that attracts corporate meetings and things? Has it got a, yes. a meeting space? Yes, they've got a meeting space there. Um, it's not giant like we experienced in Macau, but um, yeah. it, there's a meeting space there. And in, in actual fact, they've had wedding parties there as well. So you'd sort of book the place out for a wedding, though, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah you certainly would. Um, with 34 standalone bungalows. Well, even a corporate, uh, you know, a top-end corporate retreat might involve a buy-out of the whole place. Yeah. Then you, you've got no worries at the... Uh, that your opposition aren't uh, in room 33 spying on you. <laughs> That's a possibility. Oh, I think it's happened, uh, Mike. It sounds it? incredible, but, you know, incredible but true. Yeah. So but the, um, for those they... from Melbourne who don't uh, who don't know it, um, is the Sydney airport the, the only way to get there, really? There's nothing where you... Can you fly onto the central coast in a reasonable-sized aircraft? Uh, Sydney would be the, the normal uh, arrival right. spot. Uh, Newcastle do have an airport there, but um, I think Sydney would be preferred because you, you get in the car, it's it's mainly motorway conditions all the way up there right. from the airport right through to um, to reaching the Central Coast because you've got the M1 that goes across the Hawkes River and the connection 
now we've got so many underground motorways in Sydney. It's um, yeah, they're it's fantastic. Quite easy. It's quite easy to get there quickly. It might cost you in the in tolls, but uh, but uh, it's easy to reach there. No, but last the, time we left Sydney, uh, we were we were in the inner west, and we got into this underground environment there. And <laughs> you didn't know where you were except the tiles on the wall spelled <laughs> out the suburb that was above you. And before we knew it, we were on the uh, on the freeway back to Melbourne. Um, yeah. You know, we'd missed all of the congestion that used to it's be so very easy. frustrating at the end of a long drive from Melbourne to Sydney. Oh, so yes, it's absolutely. great. I, I applaud what they've done. I wish we'd have a bit more forethought for that sort of thing here in Melbourne. It's funny, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch this cartoon called The Jetsons. Yeah. And they had, they had cars flying around. But we seem to have gone the opposite way. We've, we're like the ants. We've built these tunnels to get uh, get around the city rather than flying over the city, so it's quite it's quite uh, humorous to uh, well, we, relate we, back to those early days when I was a kid. Yeah, no, actually, we played a Jetsons song the other week because we had an interview <laughs> from Bridget Leslie with a uh, an architect who is building. He's from the Caribbean, but working in New York, and he's building hotel uh, or designing hotels that have got a drone park rather than a car park on the basis that he reckons there'll be passenger drones will will uh, sort of fly you wherever you want to go. I'm not yeah. sure I want to be the first to try that out, <laughs> no, actually. I'll stick to the underground. The yeah, I think you're safer there, mate. <laughs> anyway, yeah. no, that's great. So if people want to uh, want to visit uh, the, the Central Coast, is there a website they can check out for this sort of information, uh, Mike? Or have yes, you got it, something you've written? Yeah, no, it's uh, lovecentralcoast.com. Yeah. Which is a, which is a good motto. It um, is. But for uh, Kim's, it's just kims.com. And it's is that pretty straightforward. Kim, is it Kim apostrophe S? No, no, no apostrophe. K-I-M-S. K-I-M-S, okay. Dot com, dot A-U, sorry. Dot com, dot A-U. Kims.com.au. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Mike, another uh, another treat. Uh, well, uh well put together piece of information for our listeners and uh, thank you very much for filling me in because I've heard of Kim's, I'd nod along but I had no idea how good it sounds yeah, It's fantastic, as I say the villas and the and bungalows are absolutely first class and well maintained So, and to wake up in the morning to see the sun over the, over the waters of Tuam Bay, it's nothing better than that on a relaxing um, break from the city I'll look forward to you buying me a beer there one day Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Graeme. Mike Smith there, speaking with Graeme Kemlow about Kim's retreat. For more information, kims.com.au. So this reporter had the pleasure of dining with one of our Travel Writers Radio reporters. She's probably the star reporter of Travel Writers Radio in terms of her longevity and her commitment. <laughs> and I had the honour of presenting her with a special presentation as the first member of the Travel Writers Radio 100 Club. So, Carolyn Jasinski, welcome to the club. Oh, thank you. I am so chuffed, I have what to a, tell you. We better translate it for the, for the listener. Basically, Carolyn, I don't know, how many years have you been doing the show? Goodness me. I don't even know, Graham. Well, <laughs> we're coming up to 10 years. I'm not sure if you've been here... I've because for I've a while you're editing magazines. I reckon you might have been here seven or eight. I reckon eight. Okay. Yeah, I think eight. Anyway, so over that period, well, until last year, 
I, I took the trouble one day to sit down and count up the number of stories that Carolyn had done for us here on the show. And she's by far the biggest contributor. I, I'm not counting myself because, you know, I'm, I'm there every week. You're so it. Carolyn has more than 100 stories up and she's heading towards 200, I think. I so think we I, might, I I might have to think of something uh, to come up with for the 200 Club. But it was, it's great to have you there. And uh, so what do we give you? You gave me a, a microphone. It's like a, it's better than an Oscar. It's better like than an Oscar. It is. It's a little trophy microphone that's actually working. It's brilliant. Well, I thought uh, crystal plate, you know, the things you shove in the crystal cabinet and never use again. <laughs> I thought, well, let's get pragmatic and practical here. So, yes, we did provide uh, Carolyn with a condenser microphone, with sort of microphones being used uh, professionally. And we found a little plaque that we got engraved. It's got a name on it, so no one can steal it. But uh, it's actually... Small enough that if she wants to travel with it, she can. But she's uh, talking to us on it today. She, I think she sounds a million bucks. It's lovely. I have to tell you, when, when you gave this to me, I, I need to tell the um, the listeners, I travelled across from Adelaide to Melbourne on the overland train and had to do a story about Eureka 89. So I asked Graham, who's in Melbourne, would you dine with me? Would you be my guest? And he said, Yes, and I'm thinking that he was such a lovely person to not make me sit there and eat on my own. And then he presents me with a, a little award. It felt like an Oscar ceremony. Well, I've been <laughs> cooking up this award for some time, thinking about what we would do. But I just took it in my bag quietly to dinner the other night. It was a great dinner, and I think we might talk separately about the dinner on another occasion. But it was a good night, and I thought, well, we'll cap the night off and give Carolyn her... I'm so proud to be in the 100 Club. This is the Travel Writer Show on J-Air 88FM in Melbourne. Well, that was well-deserved. You'll find a photo of the presentation here in Melbourne on our social media and also our website and our SoundCloud site. Just search for Travel Writers Radio, all one word. Well done, Carolyn. But we haven't given her time off for the achievement. She's been in far north Queensland checking out the post-cyclone recovery and to prove to you that things have returned to normal. Carolyn went into the Atherton Tablelands and enjoyed some experiences. Then she went and caught a four kilo barramundi at Hookabara. So Carolyn, last time you and I spoke, you were in far north Queensland, tropical north Queensland as they now call it. Yep. And uh, you'd been to report on the recovery after the couple of cyclones that have been through. I note there is still one drifting around the Coral Sea that might turn into a, a cyclone. But I think the general consensus from our conversation was that it's in pretty good shape up there now. It's dried off and that they're waiting for you. There's government's put some special airfares in the mix. And if you want to go up there, now's as good a time as any to go. But having said that, we want to be able to tell people what are the things that you can do up there. So I know you went and enjoyed some experiences while you were there. So I thought this week, well, let's just talk about those. So uh, welcome back. Thank um, you. You didn't bring any cane toads with you, which is good. Where did you go? Uh, at one stage, you had to go up into the Atherton Tableland because the road was closed. Well, the road's now open. But let's say you do decide to do a day trip to Atherton the- Tableland. What's, what's your uh, agenda for that sort of uh, an event? 
Oh, goodness me. There's so many ways to do it. So Cairns and Port Douglas are both gateways to the Atherton Tablelands. I did it from Port Douglas because I was up in that further north region looking at the cyclone recovery and what you can and can't do. So there's two ways, two easy ways. The first is you can self-drive anywhere. And the road from Port Douglas goes through the reverse direction that we talked about last week. So we go through Gelatin and Mount Malloy, down through Mareeba, and then onto the Atherton Tablelands. That whole region is full of delicious things to it's do. It's a food bowl isn't it really? It is, it's a food bowl, food bowl of northern Queensland right. and so you can self drive. So I'm going to tell you about a, a day tour that I did mm-hmm. with Brett's Outback Tasting Adventures. So I chose to let them do the hard work to drive for me and because we were tasting wine and liqueurs and distillery yep. goodies, uh, it just meant that I didn't have to worry about drink Good driving. Good move. Yeah, yeah, weren't going to blow in any breathalysers. Absolutely, and I, I'm a big fan of guided tours because you learn so much and then you hear all these fabulous little anecdotes about people and things that have happened in the past. And Yeah. yeah. So, so I went with um, Chris. So Chris is one of the guides with Brett's Outback Tasting Adventures and he is just gold. Honestly, mm-hmm. he had us in stitches. There were five of us. two In other- a minivan, were you? In a, in a luxury vehicle. Now, normally they take buses with 12 people. Yeah. But on this particular day, there were only five of us. So right. we got treated to a, a luxury vehicle and it was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So we, we started from Port Douglas. We actually went back down the Captain Cook Highway, which is uh, known as the Great Barrier Reef Drive. This has reopened since the cyclone. And we did talk about it last week. So I won't dwell on it, but... It, it's, it's huge for tourists. It means a 45-minute connection between Port Douglas and Cairns. So we started out our tour going down that road. Beautiful coastal scenery. We stopped at Rex's Lookout, and you can see where the coast just goes on and on and on. It's just glorious. And, and again, it's open now again to people. And then we took a right turn up through the Coranda Ranges. Now, this is the road that goes up to Coranda, the little village that's Hippieville. It's gorgeous. You can stop in there and go to the markets. And you can also hop on the Sky Rail up there. The Sky Rail is this long, I think it's seven kilometres long. On the treetops, isn't it? Yeah, cable car ride. You go straight over the Barren Falls, which are glorious at the moment. They're just full of water. Mm. That's one of the bonuses of of the wet season. The waterfalls are spectacular. And then we came back. We actually didn't do the Sky Rail. I've done that before. But we stopped at a place called Rainforest Station. Now, this is set up for big bus tours you can go in and have breakfast and lunch or you can just stop for coffee and they do these really cool jeep tours of the property they've got all sorts of stuff growing so we had damper breakfast now the international guests were going what's damper it's really it's an eye-opener it's it's you know for us it's you know it's an outback bread Uh, for them it was just delicious and it had wattle seed and indigenous flavors in it so it was really cool Mm. and we also got to taste mountain groves liqueurs which sounds really bizarre for breakfast but highly recommended okay (laughs) just a taste it was lovely Mm. yeah Uh, then we went on to emerald creek ice creamery and this is a beautiful little stop it's 
it's just delicious. You walk in the door and my mouth's watering now thinking about it. They've got lots and lots of ice cream you can taste. We got a taste of things like mango and licorice and you name it, they had it, and sorbets. So that was another little stop. That's in Coranda, is that right? That was past Coranda. Oh, so just past, so okay. You, so you're heading further into the Atherton Tablelands. Right. We, we went through Atherton, the little township. And that's really cool to see. We didn't stop there, but if you're self-driving, it's it's worth stopping just to have a l- little drive. There's a, a really cool bloke in there, and he's got crystal caves, and he's just collected all these rocks and crystals and things, and it's just worth – it's quirky. It's worth oh. having a look, yeah. Okay. Um, but we went on a little bit further. So you're touring around the back roads, which is really interesting because we went thr- through – orchards and there were mangoes and avocados and coffee plantations not too far away all sorts of stuff past blueberry fields and it's really green and lush and worth just looking even if you don't taste or buy anything it's worth looking at all this stuff and then our next stop was the humpy now the humpy is this little shed it's it's much better than a shed but it's described as a a shed and it has all local produce so everything from honey and nuts and mangoes all tropical fruits so we tasted a tropical fruit platter and it had um mango what did we have in season all sorts of bits and pieces that she was a little bit um disappointed that not all the fruits were in season so that's how much they care about you know what they can show you but there's all sorts on show and you can buy it and you're encouraged chocolates, all sorts of things from local producers. It's all local. Um, then we went on further. Oh, lunch was the next stop. Mm. So it's... At the whole t- thing sounds like lunch. Oh, God, it, it was just non-stop feast, to be honest. Mm. It's lucky you don't have breakfast before you go because you picked up pretty early, about 8 o'clock. But you don't need breakfast because you get it all along the way. And we stopped at the Australian Platypus Park. And this is a little, it, it looks like a ramshackle little place. It's gorgeous. You just pull in and it feels like you're at someone's home. And it was it is the home of the Tazali Smokehouse. So this is all sorts of smoked goods from sausages to oh, bits and pieces that they put together. We had red claw yabbies. It was just oh. delicious. And it's the platypus park so normally you would see about eight platypus now we didn't see any but that was just the luck of the draw they they can't really book in the platypus to come and see us just because we've come for the day now the platypus is normally in a stream they don't you can't stick them in a pond or anything well they're in this big lake and and no doubt they've got streams that come in and out okay but most people that go there say you know the chances are they'll see a platypus again we we didn't but you know that's nature (laughs) but the the platter was it's worth just going there for lunch it's really lovely Mm -hmm. and i think they just opened up reopened to the public the day after we went which was probably 10 days ago now that i was there so they'd be well i wonder if they were affected by the uh the you know extra water around they were so a lot of water went into the pond where the platypus right. are. So maybe they're, you know, they might have r- headed for the hills, so to speak. Or they could be doing a bit of renovation underwater. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, they could be. Yeah. Um, the next place was 
Gallo Dairyland. And this is famous. It's a big dairy and you can watch what they do in the dairy. They've got big glass windows. So you, whatever they're doing at the top, you can see. And the chocolatiers were busy making chocolates and doing stuff. And at the time we were there, they were they were repositioning some curd so it sounds really boring but it was quite interesting watching how they make cheeses it's really really cool and of course you get a tasting there we had a beautiful cheese platter and we had chocolates and we bought stuff to take away as well (laughs) can't resist it oh as you do yeah Yeah, why not well it's great for the local economy as well so the idea is that you know you go on a tour and you get to taste it. There's no pressure to buy anything. But if you do, they'll love you forever. Yeah. Um, next stop was Mount Uncle Distillery. Oh, yes. I know these guys. Yeah. Now, this is a beautiful stop, beautiful grounds. They've got all sorts of trees and they've got peacocks roaming around. And they were putting on a lovely show while we were there. But the important stuff is inside. And it's got everything on display. And you can sit there and taste whatever you like Mm. that you pay for a tasting paddle and i love gin so i had a couple of gins and there was rum and whiskey and you can sit there you can buy drinks as well it's a bar as well but the main idea is to go in and taste stuff so that was another stop yeah they do a master classes in in the gin and whiskey and stuff production at Ah. uh, sheraton grand mirage and when i was up there um, they had a master class led by their dist- head distiller. So, yeah, so he's got a good reputation. It, 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 look, it's a, it's a really worthwhile stop. And, mm. I, and I think if you were driving yourself, you'd stay longer. You might even make an afternoon of it. You'd, you know, it's a really yeah. lovely setup. It's kind of that industrial chic look inside. It's beautiful. Mm. And our last stop was Saltwater Edge. And this is a private property and... They've got cabins on there, very eco-friendly cabins where you can go and actually stay. So for our part of the tour, we went into this undercover veranda and it was right on the edge of a creek and it's set up. We just sat there and had a beautiful glass of wine overlooking this crystal clear water, croc-free water. (laughs) How do you know it was croc-free? Did they tell you? They assure me it's croc-free. And yeah. the water was very shallow. Too clear for a croc, probably, the water. They like dirty water, I think. Possibly, but this was... You could see the bottom. Right. And it was it was lovely. So that was a really nice, calm way of okay. ending well, a day. Now, so I, heard a, I heard a rumour that you caught a fabulous fish up there somewhere. I did. <laughs> I caught a four-kilogram barramundi. Oh, I hope... What did your husband think about that? He, he's the fisherman. I think he's a bit jealous. Yeah, I bet he is. <laughs> but I had a lot of help, I have to tell you. I went to Hookabarra. So this is another tour you can do. And uh, this one is self-drive. It's up near the Daintree River at Wonga Beach. No. And I had I heard stories while on other tours about this Hookabarra. And I was so excited about it. But I did hear that they lost 80% of their barramundi stock during the flooding that was the result of the cyclone. Oh, they got flushed out, did they? They did. So there's okay. 14 ponds. Yeah. And they're full of barramundi. Now, I learned a lot. Barramundi takes about 12 months minimum to get to a size where it's um, plate size right. for, for market. 
the big beast, you know, the three or four kilo ones, take about 18 months to get to that size. So that was a lot that these guys lost in production and and income. So would they have just ended up in local rivers? There weren't crocs waiting at the back gate, were there? They restocked the Daintree River, they tell me. Okay. (laughs) So... What happened was the waters came in and, of course, they went over the top of the ponds and the fish just escaped. So, again, the Queens... Tropical North Queenslanders are resilient. They don't give up easy. So they knew that they were going to lose a lot of stock, but they called in the neighbours and they gave them fishing rods and they had heaps of people standing there fishing for barramundi. So the neighbours are loving it because they're catching barramundi and it's catch and release. So they then put them back in the ponds. So while they lost their market stock of barramundi, their fishing, the tourism side of it, was up and running in days. Oh, that's good. So they got thousands, they tell me, of fish back in the pond. Oh, good. So that's That's where I came in and and had a go at fishing. There's one-on-one instruction when you go in you you can fish for an hour and they teach you how to fish and the best line is if you want to catch a barramundi you be the lure (laughs) what do you mean by that so you and lee gallon is the guy who runs the the fishing side of it and he said just imagine you're the lure so you throw in your your lure you cast it in and then you pull it in really quickly do that a few times and if you don't hook one you do it slower you cast it in and then you give it a tug as if you're a fish in distress and then you slowly reel it in and all the tips and tricks that they give you work i reeled in a four kilogram barrel monday that is uh, absolutely sensational what can i say it was sensational. It was such a good feeling. Yeah, and I, I didn't. I didn't have to stand for hours in the weather. And you was, didn't have to clean it. No, I'll go. I'll put it back. Yeah. No, yeah. that's good. That's it's great. So, are they uh, on the net? Yes. Yep. Hook How a barrel. find them? It's hook dash double dash a dash capital B A double R A. Yeah, barra barra being short for barra money. Hook a barra. That's a good name. Hookabarra.com, Is it? Yep. And okay. you'll, you'll find them there. And the same with the Brett's Outback Tasting Tours. You can just Google. I think that's just straight under Outback Tasting Adventures. Fantastic. So that's two more things. There's so much you can do up there. But I didn't get to tell you about those last week. The Atherton Tablelands one, there's, if, you, if you want just day tours by yourself, drive up to the Tablelands and go do the waterfall circuit. Right. You know, you can go to Barron Falls and see that. You can go out to the waterfall circuit itself. I think it's about eight kilometres long. It's a loop. And you see Miller Miller Falls and you can go for a swim. It's just, it's gorgeous. Carolyn Jasinski reporting from tropical North Queensland. Back in business, plenty to do and just waiting for you to visit.
Well, that was Donna Fisk and Michael Cristiano with Dimboola. Justine Costigan, my co-host here, loves to spend time in regional towns and most recently paid a visit to Dimboola, which has come a long way from the days when, in 1979, it was the subject of a comedy hit movie set up around a local wedding reception. Justine's been researching a story about Dimboola that's going to be published shortly. So, uh, Justine, tell us what you really thought about Dimboola. Well, I was very surprised to find that Dimboola is actually a bustling, lively, vibrant town. And the reason I was surprised about that is, as all of us know who travel um, throughout Australia's regions, you will often drive through a town and find that there's very little happening there. And in fact, the town itself looks like it's dying. That unfortunately is a reality for many many places in, in regional Australia. So when I went to Dimboola, which is quite a distance from Melbourne and also quite a distance from Adelaide, it's about four, four hours drive each way, I was really quite surprised to find that this town is actually very vibrant, it's bustling, it's alive and there's a lot happening there. And it's actually a delight to find that there are places in regional Australia that really are on the up and up and there's a lot of things happening there. I think it's interesting, Justine, a lot of these towns start to die when we motorists want to die, to pass by the town, so they build a, a, a freeway a diversion and you've got to actually go out of your way to go into places like Gundagai um, that used to be on the Hume Highway. Um, do you think that's that's an issue that they're all having to deal with? I think that's a very common issue. And in fact, um, back in 2007, the Age newspaper um, put Dimboola on a list of 40 towns in Victoria that they actually classified as dying. And one of the things that had happened to Dimboola, like many other country towns, is that there had been a highway bypass. But there were also other things that happened to the town that really were devastating to it economically. Um, they stopped sending uh, daily trains to the local station. Um, there was, of course, the millennial drought, which left, in fact, the Wimmera River um, riverbed completely dry. Um, the iconic pub in the town burnt down. Oh. It just seemed like there was just a, one disaster after another happening in Dimboola. So you can see why perhaps it looked like the town didn't have much of a future. And I guess it's hard to say exactly why it has turned itself around. There are probably a couple of reasons. Um, I think the Silo Art Trail uh, has a lot to do with encouraging people to visit that region. Obviously, the drought ended and now the Wimmera River is flowing through town and it is an absolutely beautiful location. There's a stunning campground right on the river and the weekend we were there, there were kids jumping off a pontoon, squealing with laughter as they splashed in the water. There's also an incredible campground within the National Park. So Dimboola is actually um, on the edge of the Little Desert National Park, which is a stunning um, asset for Victoria full of incredible birds, um, sandy roads where you can do four-wheel driving, lots of hiking opportunities. Um, so these are some of the things that, that may have helped sort of bring people back to the town. But what I discovered when I went there was that actually there is a really committed group of locals, both established locals, people who've been there for decades and have family connections, and people who come from you know the cities to 
I guess what we call do a tree change, but they've really invested in creating something special there. So when you go to Dimbula, you'll find that there's this real retro vintage feel there that they're exploiting. The pub, for example, the classic 1924 pub, um, the Victoria Hotel, is filled with vintage treasures. Um, throughout the main street, there are a couple of shops that have got great antiques, um, really beautifully presented, nothing dusty and dirty about any of these shops. Of course, there's an incredible bakery where I'm happy to say mm. I think the vanilla slice is really up there with one of the best in Victoria. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, um, that's a, a hallmark, isn't it? Absolutely. A good reason for turning off the highway. Um, and look, many other people doing really interesting, creative things there. And they actually a couple of years ago um, held a street party to kind of celebrate coming out of lockdowns. Um, and they gave it a steampunk theme. And I'm not oh. sure if you know what steampunk oh, is. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they were absolutely blown away that they had almost 3,000 people to the town. Initially, the the uh, idea behind the Steampunk Festival was really just to throw a party for the locals to sort of celebrate coming out of lockdown and to bring everybody together. But it proved incredibly popular. Hmm. They had another one the following year, and now it's going to become a biennial event. It's a thing. It's a thing, and uh, next year uh, it's going to be the signature event for the region. So it's it's really amazing what is happening in Dimbula. And what the locals have told me is that this economic revitalisation, particularly around the festival time, is actually having an extended impact around the region just because of the need for accommodation and people want to come and stay. And um, we didn't stay just in Dimbula. We wanted to explore all the areas around as well. And there's a couple of really incredible highlights there that I would recommend anyone visit. Yeah. Um, there's the uh, Mertoa Stick Shed, which is an incredible construction, only about 25 minutes out of Dimbula. Um, it was built during the Second World War to house uh, excess wheat. But it's called the Cathedral of the Wimmera because it's made from these incredibly tall mountain ash logs. Um, and when you walk through it, there are shafts of light coming through. People hold weddings there, but mostly people go there just to be in the incredible space. It's open every day of the year, and it really is um, another reason for people to go and visit this Sounds region. Sounds amazing. It is. It really is quite amazing. And, of course, there's the Arcona Silo, which is um, painted by Scottish street artist Smug. There's also a Smug mural within Dimbula as well. Uh, There's the Pink Lake, and we all know how incredibly popular the Pink Mm. Lakes in the Wimmera have become. So, you know, there really is a lot to see. And probably one last thing I'll mention to you, which for me was a real treat, in Nil, which is only half an hour from Dimbula, in the Oasis Motel, there is a pinball museum. Wow. And the pinball museum is started, obviously, by a passionate collector. But what I didn't realise when I went to visit there was that you are actually encouraged to play the pinballs. So I uh, changed some of my I, – I, I got some coins and I lined them up on the side of the pinball machine and um, my partner and I spent a good hour playing pinball Fantastic. games. And it was probably the most fun I've had in a long time. So I absolutely recommend that to people as oh, well. Well, that's, that's a lovely thing to have available for people, something um, pretty retro. You know, the other thing I reckon about 
regional Victoria. And I grew up, my first 10 years was spent in the country. I think the people, there's something about the community in, in a slower paced environment where people do stop and help each other out. There's a sort of a volunteerism that uh, doesn't uh, look to be repaid. Um, you know, there's no debt owed. It's, it's all about just what we do. It's the way we do it around here. Did you find that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, a, a, a country doesn't sort of come to life if you haven't got a lot of people volunteering their time. But what I also found as I wandered around the streets and chatted to lots of um, uh, store owners was that they were all so incredibly generous to the other places within the town. So when I went into the antique store, the owner there, Joe Donnelly, told me that, you know, I had to go to the other shop just up the road because they also had wonderful things. Everybody wanted to support the other people in the mm. town. And I think that's um, just a, a really wonderful thing if you're a visitor because the locals are sharing with you what they know and what they think is, is fantastic, but it's also great for the other businesses. Mm. I like the fact you mentioned earlier that the Wimmera is one of 40 towns the age declared an endangered species. Now, if that was a wombat or something else, people would be flocking there to make sure that wombat got saved. Uh, maybe we ought to be a bit more concerned about what happens to these small towns when the world is so focused on globalisation. Um, you know, maybe we do need a list of uh, towns that need a visit. I think that's that's a great idea. But but what we've also seen um, post the pandemic and also during the pandemic is a real appreciation for regions. And so I think that has also been part of the reason why Dimboola is now flourishing is that a lot of people have seen the area, visited it and thought, I actually think I could live here. And so they're having more people coming into town, buying old houses, restoring them and adding to the general population, which means more business for the locals and more reasons to visit. Well, thank you for your report. Justine, I think there's a career for you <laughs> rounding up these small towns and telling us all about them. Uh, because it isn't just about how many beds they've got in the motel or uh, is there a good coffee place there, you know, the Melbourneian snobs want to go and visit. It, it's just about the feel. Exactly. And you feel it as soon as you walk down the street. You think, ooh, something, something's going on here. And Obviously, in other towns, you get exactly exactly the opposite feeling, which is which is really sad. Um, and I think we should all be doing what we can to support um, regional towns. And also, there's nothing like a road trip. It's it's really my favourite form of travel, to be honest. When you've got an electric car, it'll be even better, Justine. <laughs> exactly. If you can get that far. Well, actually, um, just on that on that point, if we've got a second. Um, mm. One other great thing about Dimboola is that the Overland uh, travels through it four times a week. So if you want to go and visit the town, you can actually um, hop on the train, spend a very pleasant four hours watching the world go by, and you'll be there by lunchtime. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Maybe that's something worth doing. I used to love the Overland, but I loved it particularly because it was an overnight train and we'd wake up in, in Dimboola or some small... Uh, country town and you look out the window and there'd be one street light on and there someone was unloading milk uh, kegs if that's not the right word for, for the big containers of milk but you know and I just thought it was all terribly sort of 1950s and romantic but it's all gone now you have to do it in daylight. It is but there are some benefits to that as well I mean you get to see the beautiful uh, 
countryside. Um, you can sit back, read a book, really relax. It's not stressful. Sounds great. Well, thank you. That was Justine Costigan there on her recent visit to Dimboola. And uh, I'm sure when the story that she's uh, written is about to be published, she'll tell us about it and we can give a link to that story. Well, I think, as Justine said, one of the great joys in life is a road trip. And uh, I think one of the great road trip songs is actually about going home. It's called Going Home by Mark Knopfler. And we thought we'll, uh, we'll take you out with that for this hour. brings our first hour to a close but do stay tuned to jair 88 fm and we'll be back at 6 p.m with the second hour of travel riders radio we are the wild we are the free and our fire burns eternally 